Hey, y'all, it's Jeremy Alfred from The Politics, and you are listening to the sweet, sweet sounds of Earth, Wind, and Fire. That's Boogie Wonderland, the top song of 1979. Hey, if this music does not take you to the 70s and the disco era, I'm not sure if anything will. We're starting on the show with the song because we're jumping back in the DeLorean. We're going back to the 1970s. We're going to uh, start off with, uh, with our usual political history segment. Uh, many, many people remember that year as the cycle that Dave Treen pulled off an upset in the governor's mansion as the Republican Party swept back into power in Baton Rouge for the first time since Reconstruction. But many people forget that today's guest, Insurance Commissioner Jim Donlin, was a candidate for lieutenant governor that year. And it was his first run for statewide office. We're going to talk about that. Uh, after starting out his career working for the Jefferson Parish delegation at the Capitol, Jim returned home and became a parish councilman in the wild and ambitious world of Jefferson Parish politics. After two terms on the council that included a stint as the body's chair, he jumped into the race for lieutenant governor. Running against then-state representative Bobby Freeman, who would eventually go on to win that race and run off with Donlin. The clip you're about to hear is an interview that Louisiana Public Broadcasting did with Jim Donlin during that race. Uh, what you're going to hear is uh, Jim talking about why he wanted to be lieutenant governor uh, in office with very little power and really how it fit into his political career at that point and his own political thinking. One of the races that has a full field of candidates is that for lieutenant governor. And we have with us this week one of those candidates, Jim Donilon. Mr. Donilon is chairman of the Jefferson Parish Council and he formerly served as executive counsel to Governor Edwin Edwards. Mr. Donilon, the first question to ask anybody I think who's running for lieutenant governor is why in the world do you want to run for lieutenant governor? We hear lots of jokes about vice presidents and lieutenant governors really only serve, uh, I think, in you know, official capacities. Why? You're active, involved. Why do you want this office? Well, I um, am reminded of a, of a nationally syndicated story I saw recently in, in the newspaper where uh, apparently the governor and the lieutenant governor in the state of Kansas were feuding and the governor of Kansas assigned the lieutenant governor the duty of taking up an outpost on the Capitol steps and watching for any oncoming <laughs> glaciers. Uh, but uh, those kinds of stories have been going around about lieutenant governors for a long time. I happen to believe, though, that uh, the selection of the next lieutenant governor is very important to the state of Louisiana uh, for two reasons. A, he might end up being our governor without us having another choice in the matter. And B, uh, the duty of the lieutenant governor uh, has come to be that of the chief spokesman for the state, the guy that goes out and sells Louisiana and promotes uh, the economic development of our state. And that's something that I think is important. It's something I've taken an active role uh, along with our present lieutenant governor in recent years in participating in. And it's something I think I have an ability for and I'm looking forward to doing. But to answer your question, why would I do it? I guess the answer to that is about the same as my um, the, the, question, the answer to the question, why did I decide when I was in undergraduate school at UNO and Loyola Law School that I wanted to pursue a career in politics or the nice word uh, for that government? Uh, and this is just a uh, logical continuation of my 10-year uh, political career. That was Jim Donlin on Louisiana Public Broadcasting almost 40 years ago, talking <laughs> about running for a statewide campaign, something he has now done a total of five times, and this year he's embarking on his sixth, running for a fourth term as Louisiana's insurance commissioner. In case you were wondering, and I know that you were, this is a podcast where we love Louisiana politics. I am Jeremy and Alfred, and this, ladies and gentlemen, is the La Politics Report. Under 
written by Adams and Reese, recorded live from the Politics Mobile Studios. We endeavor to be your political entertainment and a window into the Bayou State's colorful past. This is episode number 62, fourth season, fourth episode. Our guest, Insurance Commissioner Jim Donwin. This is going to be a great visit. We're going to discuss his role in the early and mid 1970s politics of Louisiana. It's a pivotal time, how he was pulled into public service, and of course, his upcoming election bid. So stay tuned. We're coming right at you, Jim Donwin, on the La Politics Report. The Law Politics Report is underwritten by the law firm of Adams & Reese. The Adams & Reese Law Firm's Baton Rouge office is known for its strength on every level of state government, whether dealing with litigation, economic development, contract procurement, or appeals. Through lobbying state departments and executive and legislative branches, the Baton Rouge office of Adams & Reese can strategically cover a client's needs from inception to completion. For more information on the resources available to our clients, visit us online at www.adamsandreese.com. Our guest today is James Joseph Donnellan III. His friends and family call him Jim, and you can too. Born December 14, 1944, Jim has been Louisiana's Republican Insurance Commissioner since February 15, 2006. He has a long track record in public service. And we're going to get into that right now. Jim, thanks for making some time for us. Thank you, Jeremy. I am looking forward to this conversation, truly. <laughs> well, let's go right to the, the top of the list. Jefferson Parish politics. I think anyone who works in Louisiana politics knows it's, it's a little different down there. I and mean, What makes Jefferson Parish politics different? I think it's a, uh, such a mix. It's a gumbo. The West Bank, so different than the, West, than the East Bank. Kenner, so different than Metairie. And then you have Harahan. Um, not to mention the Seventh Ward, as it was called now, more fashionably known as Old Jefferson. Um, it, it's it's a, it's a real gumbo, and I love it. It has been so good to me, electing me over and over again, uh, first as their council chairman, and then for 19 years to represent uh, Metairie in one precinct of Kenner in the state legislature, and now in my various state my several statewide office. Uh, campaigns for uh, insurance commissioner. So they're, um, they're my people. Uh, it is a rough and tumble political world. Uh, maybe not quite as rough and tumble as next door in Arlene's parish, uh, but, uh, but certainly uh, a, um, a bare knuckles politics uh, for, for, um, for sure. Well, as insurance commissioner, you've come to define the office, at least in modern times, you served as the national president of the uh, insurance commissioners of, 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 what's the name of the NAIC, National Association <laughs> of Insurance Commissioners, exactly. 140 years old. That's amazing. So, you know, we have these kind of perennial debates uh, about whether some statewide elected offices should should be a statewide, you know, for example, lieutenant governor. Some states have their Senate president, Absolutely. which I love to say that's endorsed by John Alario. <laughs> <laughs> but should should insurance commissioner be amongst those ranks? Well, my answer to that, which is often asked, is like Senator Kerry, I'm not proud to tell you I voted against that bill before I voted for it. As a legislator, as chair, for, for, for the first four years of his existence, as the vice chair of the uh, House Insurance Committee, and then six, uh, my last six in the legislature as chair, the bill came before us on two different occasions. And once I voted to make it appointed, and the other time I voted, having changed my mind, to keep it elected. Now, my perspective from having served in the uh, position for 12 years, and actually under my predecessor for six years as the representative to the NAIC for our office, 
I am firmly convinced it's much better as an elected office. And I say that because now that I've been in office uh, 13 years, I am the second senior insurance commissioner in the U.S. And my colleague from Washington State, also elected, predates me by about a year and a half as the senior. And the one to my just behind me and to my east, Mike Cheney in Mississippi, also elected, is the third senior. And there's only 12 of us elected nationwide. The rest are appointed as cabinet members for the most part by governors. And they turn over, I think it's every two and a half years. Mm -hmm. Makes it very difficult to have consistency of regulation in the Department of Insurance uh, when you're turning over the top person and the philosophy of that person every two and a half years. Now, are you three men going to be like Francis Thompson and John Lario <laughs> and try to race for the, the longest service? Oh. I, uh, I am running again, but he's running again. Mike is running again also. He's in a very blue Washington state, former member of Congress who got removed by the Newt Gingrich revolution of the right. 90s and then came back. He's an op uh, optometrist and came back as the elected insurance commissioner and a good friend. We, uh, uh, we have served together, and, and he's been supportive of my climbing the officer ranks, and I tried to help him get elected up the officer ranks on one occasion when he ran as well. So, uh, no, it doesn't matter who ends up the longest. Interesting side fact, though. Next door in Mississippi, my dear friend, and the one who was in office when I took office in the immediate after math of Katrina and Rita, George Dale, served for 32 years as the elected commissioner of Mississippi. Wow. Right. Well, you know, in, in Louisiana, I, you know, I'm curious to know, because there is the, this storied kind of history of the office that's, that some commissioners had gotten in hot water. I would imagine that was probably more of an issue when you first ran than, than as you're getting out on the campaign trail again. But what, what do you tell folks who who might want to learn something about it or just ask about it. They ask about it almost every day. <laughs> Somebody, oftentimes, this is how I describe it, wherever I go, in Metairie, where I live, or in Ruston in North Louisiana, oh, hi, Mr. Donaldson, they will call me, uh, and they'll break into a grin, and I know what's coming. Uh, you're doing a good job, and he, 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 you're not in jail yet. Right. <laughs> and I say we like to think we're doing more than just not going to jail. But if it gets me reelected, as it has three times, I'll take it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's in the past, and it's a part of our history. Can't deny it. We're known around the globe because insurance is an international market. It truly is. We are totally, very, very dependent, very dependent, maybe totally dependent for property insurance on the international reinsurance marketplace. It enables us to spread our incredibly huge coastal exposure around the world, not just try to, expo to spread it to North Louisiana. There's not enough up there right, to right. effectively spread it. But by buying reinsurance, two-thirds of which capacity is located offshore in places like Bermuda, London, Zurich, Toronto, Paris, etc. By getting reinsurance behind carriers doing business in our state, taking on that substantial um, coastal exposure, they can spread that risk around the world. And we have had a very soft market uh, with lots of capacity available in the reinsurance world for, oh, 
five or 10 years now, so that we have been very successful in um, uh, depopulating our residual market, the state-sponsored market of last resort called Citizens, and keeping rates competitive by attracting small regional carriers, like the one that insures my home uh, down in Metairie, um, by virtue of the fact that they can reinsure themselves up to their chin for that big exposure. You were born in New Orleans, not Jefferson Parish. Do your earliest memories of, of politics or an interest in public service come from that city? Absolutely. And who, what, and, and how? My father was a state civil servant uh, working in what was called the state uh, tax office. A fellow named George Montgomery was an elected official in Arlene's parish as the state tax collector for that parish. The old five and three-quarter mill property tax, if mm-hmm. you recall, Edwin Edwards abolished it on right. the eve of... Busey versus Long, that was going to equalize assessments statewide. There was a 71, 72. Exactly, exactly. And when he abolished that office, my father was unemployed. And then he got hired as a state fire marshal for the last five or so years of, of his work life before he retired as a state employee. But as a uh, employee of the state tax office. George Montgomery was an ally of and on the ticket of back in the day, Chuck Morrison during his reign as the reform sure. mayor and multiple times candidate for, for governor out of New Orleans. And my earliest campaign recollection, and I've reminisced with Jimmy Fitzmaurice many times about this, was we rented half of a shotgun double that was owned by the Bordelons next door, wonderful longtime family friends. And the Comiskeys were the bosses of the Third Ward where we lived. And because we were Morrison allies, which were on the other side from the old regulars, we always had signs on the front of our house for Chep Morrison and Jimmy Fitzmaurice running for the council. And my earliest recollection is a parade down Bank Street or Tulane Avenue for Jimmy Fitzmaurice running against the Comiskey candidate in our neighborhood there. And, um, and from there, the rest uh, is, is my life story. It's, I, I can't deny that I'm a career politician. I'm actually that, very that proud really of this. A, a bad word? It's and not. Is pragmatism a bad word, too? I mean, not at all. Um, you know, it, it would sound self-serving to call myself a public servant, but certainly I consider myself a public servant, and I take great satisfaction in my career of public service, and um, and and I get um, compliments on it all the time uh, when when I'm moving around in Jefferson Parish where they recognize me. Most folks don't know who I am when I walk the streets of Baton Rouge or Shreveport or wherever. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's just like a journalist. There are good ones, and there are ones that are not so good. Maybe. Absolutely. But, so the 1970s, you move on to the, the Jefferson Parish Council. Was that your first run for office? Actually for not. Seat? I ran for DA in 1972, 3, I forget. Had an absolute battle royal with a fellow named John Mamalitis. That's right. Who ended up serving Which, 24 years after he disposed of me by, I think he had the results on him plaque in his office and I can't remember if it was 900 votes or whatever he beat me by but uh, I was so relieved election night to have that over with it was quite the ordeal for a 28 year old but uh, but John won 
never had another opponent in 24 years of service as the elected DA of Jefferson. Ended up living with his wife, Savella, in my uh, uh, district in the legislature and putting a Jim Donlin sign in his yard every time I ran uh, thereafter. But um, three years or so later, I ran for council chairman, Mm -hmm. and with the support of the folks who had helped me in the DA's race, it was a vacant seat. Uh, My uncle had been parish president, Tom Donlin, for 12 years. He did not run again. His council chairman had been C.J. Egan, and he did not run again, and I ran for C.J.'s seat, which was the elected parish-wide one seat on the seven-member council. Uh, that was the chair. I was, uh, that was in 75, so I was 31 years old. The dean of the council at that time was a fellow from Gretna, tough old guy named B.H. Miller. And uh, he never called me um, Mr. Chairman or Jim, I mean, or, or um, uh, uh, Jim or, or Councilman. He always called me boy. Hey, boy, what you, <laughs> what you doing? And, uh, and we, um, we served together for four years. We had a new council. Four of us were brand new and three were uh, seasoned veterans. Um, and we, we, um, we made some changes. We uh, uh, stopped the lengthy three, two, three-hour executive sessions and um, opened the doors. And, and um, we had joint meetings every, other, uh, every month with the New Orleans City Council trying to work out differences across the, the parish lines. Um, it was a good run, and at the end of it, I ran for lieutenant governor. And before you get there, you're in a unique corner of the world at a unique time. You're, you're coming into Jefferson. You're part of a group that's moving the needle on, on some certain issues that, that hadn't before. You're intersecting with folks like Bubba Henry, who's, who's running for speaker, and, and folks who are serving in the Constitutional Convention in, in the, the, the mid to, to, to uh, I guess, early to mid-70s. Yeah. Was there a realization at that time that that uh, that this was happening, and and where does your mind go when you when you think about that period? Well, I got introduced to Edwin Edwards as the new Chet Morrison. Chet Morrison, as I mentioned earlier, was uh, the man in New Orleans that um, right. my side of the political world was aligned with. And uh, he was quite popular in the metropolitan New Orleans area. In fact, my uncle got elected parish president because back then, gubernatorial candidates had tickets all over the state, including in Jefferson Parish. He was so popular in Jefferson that he elected the ticket that he endorsed, including my uncle as parish president, Al Kronvich as the reform sheriff, uh, Jules Molaire, who was the senator back then. It was called the Donlin Kronvich Molaire ticket in Jefferson Parish, but it was truly elected by Chet Morrison on, on his coattails. And when he lost first to Earl Long in a bludgeon uh, by, by Earl, and then to Jimmy Davis in, in a tough but not really close race, and then in an upset, his third try. Back then, governors could only run for one term, right. four years at a time. <clears throat> and John McKithen came out of nowhere and beat Chep Morrison in the runoff with Won't You Help Me? And Mary Evelyn Parker doing a female pitch on the, on the air for for Chep Morrison. I mean, for um, uh, uh, John McKithen. And, uh, and he won, dispatching uh, Chep Morrison for what looked like the last time. But interestingly, and this 
is really significant but not often mentioned, he immediately reached out to Chet Morrison, embraced him, made him the ambassador for Louisiana, sent him on his death flight to pitch us to uh, Central and South America, uh, and then embraced New Orleans as well, including uh, supporting the building of the Superdome right. in New Orleans. He became so popular, Jeremy, if you recall, that he was able to put forth a constitutional amendment to allow him to run a second term. And reform groups like the editorial board of the Times-Picayune happily and enthusiastically supported that constitutional amendment. He got reelected. Things weren't as happy in the second term for uh, Governor McKithen. But, um, but, but yes, we were part of that history. I sat in high school, in Jesuit high school, for a year right in front of Tony Morris, Chep's son. Okay. And um, our, our algebra teacher was the football coach, Ken Torzetti. And I guess he was an old regular because he sure didn't like Tony. And uh, Tony ended up moving on to De La Salle at the end of that year. Jim Donlin, a graduate of Jesuit High School. We will not hold that against him, I promise. (laughs) Are you a Catholic high boy? I am. am. (laughs) Kind of could tell from here, you know. (laughs) So in in 79, you you run for lieutenant governor. A year later, you run for Congress against Billy Tozan. Yep. Uh, Were those... Prizes denied or blessings in disguise? Good question. Um, All of my youth, when I was going to college and then law school, I was always involved in student politics, president of the Student Bar Association at Loyola Law School. My immediate predecessor, the year before me, was Harry Lee. And the year behind me was Ted Hike. Do you remember Ted? Of course. Who was the first chair of the House Insurance Committee. I was his vice chair. And uh, so anyway, there, there were a lot of us politicos, Pepe Bruno, Charlie Lancaster, Lewis Lambert, Paul Hardy, et cetera, et cetera, uh, around the time that I, in, uh, when I was in law school, Janet Knowles and, and um, Ed Knowles. Um, but anyhow, we, um, um, I, I did not uh, uh, envision, well, what I did envision was ultimately one day being a member of the United States Congress. That was my aspiration. Um, That is the prize denied that I now look upon as a good thing because I got to do something that I am very, very happy to do and feel like I make a bigger difference as insurance commissioner than I could have as one of 435 members of the U.S. House. Lieutenant Governor um, was was a, was a a stepping stone, if you will. Uh, you mentioned earlier it had little, if any, power. Uh, later, one of the governors gave it culture, recreation, and tourism right. under its jurisdiction, and it became the tourism center for for promoting state uh, the state of Louisiana in the tourist world. Jimmy Fitzmaurice started doing that and did a great job. Jay Darden, Mitch Landrew. And, and now Billy Nungesser have followed in that suit. But that could be taken away. No governor has uh, seen fit to do that. I think they have enough on their plate. And the lieutenant governors have, have been looking for things to do, and that has uh, worked well. But when I was running, that was not the case. And, um, uh, well, actually, I mean, uh, yeah, it, well, I'm sorry, I back up. 
because Jimmy had been lieutenant governor. He ran for governor when I ran for lieutenant governor. So he had started it. Uh, Edwin apparently had handed cultural recreation and tourism off to Jimmy. But, uh, but I ran for lieutenant governor. I ended up in a runoff. We had three in the race. The, th- the third one was um, Senator Jesse Knowles, right. who from Lake Charles had been a survivor of the death march of Bataan. And uh, he did not make the runoff, and he, he came to me and offered his support. I was happy to get it. We had a close race, Bobby Freeman and I. Uh, Bobby just passed away a year and a half ago um, and is a good friend. His, his widow, Marianne, is still over in Plaquemine and, and a, I consider a close friend as well. Uh, but Bobby won uh, at, at, the, at the wire, and it was a, a close race, 51, 52% over my 48 or 49. Election night, I went down to the French Quarter where Dave Treen was and uh, congratulated him in the Royal Sinesta Hotel where, where his election night party was. And when I told him congratulations, and Dave and I were both from Metairie, uh, he had supported me in my unsuccessful DA's race several years before that. Uh, he said, Jim, if this election were not today, if it were next Tuesday, I would have lost and you would have won <laughs> because Lambert was closing so fast right. on him that three more days would have defeated him. And I was closing that fast on Bobby and three more days, he thought, would have would have um, uh, been all I'd have needed. I'm not sure about that because uh, – I think one of the hills that I was fighting uh, in that race was the fact that both Dave and I were from Metairie, and we were appealing to the same side of the political divide, the the conservative Democrat and Republican sides. And there's a reluctance, I think, in most voters to to electing the top two statewide offices from the same parish. I mean, you you talk about that— early losses district attorney and how it comes full circle later in life. Is that when you realize that losses are important, that, that sometimes just as important as victories? I think so. I truly do. Because, uh, because I cert- if I had been elected DA in 1973 or whatever, uh, my whole career and life would have been different. I probably would have been DA like John Mamalitis was for 24 years. Uh, my friend Paul Connick has been there for a long time now in, in um, having succeeded uh, John Mamalitis. But I would not have been, I do not believe, where I am today. I, I'm where I am today because Hunt Downer gave me the opportunity, well, first John Alario and then Hunt Downer gave me the opportunity to dig into and become knowledgeable about um, and demonstrate my balance uh, in the insurance arena. Um, I always watched Billy Tozan uh, do energy, and he did energy really, really well uh, as a member of the state house and continued on in the Congress in the area of oil and gas and energy, and that's so important to our state. Uh, that I kind of looked upon my avenue and opportunity in insurance to be similar. And, and you, you, as as we get into the 80s, you find your spot in the legislature mm-hmm. and you, you start to carve out those niches. But you also leave the Democratic Party, which back at that time, it, everybody wasn't jumping ship. Like Actually, I left in in 80, in 80 to run for Congress. Okay. When, I, when, when I lost the lieutenant governor's race and Dave won, Dave Train. 
um, he and I met in Washington in his office, and he said, um, um, if you'll switch, I'll support you. And I did, and he did, and we had a we had an, another war, and it was, <laughs> was Dave Treen versus. You're going to do anyway. You're going to become a Republican at some point. Right? I would have. Yeah. I I I learned in the race for lieutenant governor that uh, that I was more conservative than the Democrat Party. Uh, I had a lot of friends. Uh, I had the the perennial ad that we ran. Um, ad nauseum in the metro in the Picayune area was all seven members of the Jefferson of the New Orleans city of New Orleans council endorsing me in my race um, starting with um, Sidney Bartholomew and Frank Friedler and um, um, I think Jim Singleton was was there already um, but it was it was a, um, um, a combination we even had actually no um, Brian Wagner got elected the same day I lost. Yeah, yeah, no, he got elected the same day I lost the congressional race. So it was all Democrats still, but some areas were were quite conservative. And I, I just want to recap, those are two great lessons from Jim Donilon about losing political races. One is that your friends during losses can still be your friends when you're a winner. And number two is sometimes a loss can help you better understand your own political philosophies and your policy. Absolutely. Uh, Good leaning, point. Leanings. Yes, sir. So 1982 to 2001, your House District 88, Julie Stokes has that seat now. Mm -hmm. have, have you two had a chance to maybe sit down and talk about what it was like for you to represent that district and what it's like for her today? We have. Um, not in any sit down for um, uh, serious um, philosophical discussions, but um, oftentimes at social events, cocktail parties, receptions of of um, charitable or political activities that we're both in attendance. Uh, I think the world of Julie. She's she's really a um, a bright, bright uh, trained CPA uh, and si significantly hands on uh, representative of of our area. Um, she made an unsuccessful race herself last year for uh, Secretary of State, and I have counseled her along the lines of what you just mentioned, that uh, losses aren't the end of the world, and you seldom, at the point when you lose, can see what the future holds for you. But if you hang around as long as I have, uh, you get the value of those losses, and you get to see the value of those losses, and, uh, and also see the opportunity that they oftentimes create for you. Well, you, you referred to Billy Tozan and how important a policy niche can be, and for yourself as well, how policy niche was. You know, another niche or brand we saw with David Vitter entering the legislature at the same time. Uh, he, he proved that that a lone wolf can can represent a large district and, and communicate it to his voters. Um, what was it? You were his seatmate for a little while. What what was uh, your experience like working with? Uh, Mr. Bitter. It was it was uh, very close. We beyond seatmates. In addition to seatmates, we commuted every day, <laughs> because uh, at one time, uh, well, from from the time I got elected in the early '80s, I commuted and and uh, had a half dozen colleagues: Quentin Dastug, Chuck Usmano, Skip Han, uh, Gary Gary Forster, um, and and others. Uh, that that Jefferson, commuted Jefferson with us. Jefferson delegation always has really strong personalities. No doubt. So. No doubt. And that's all East Bank. That doesn't even include the, the significant personages on the West Bank like uh, John Alario uh, and, and uh, 
and others. But yeah, we commuted. David and I were down to the last two still commuting, and he was in Old Metairie. I was in Lakefront Metairie, so it was convenient. Um, but uh, yes, I um, I had been the term limits author under the Buddy Romer administration. Uh, he took over that. Right. I had a, a lot on my plate as it was with with the issues that I was dealing with, uh, underage drinking, uh, abortion, um, insurance, needless to say, carried a lot of bills for Jefferson Parish, carried a lot of bills in the mental health arena, which is a, a lifelong interest of mine uh, and, and commitment of mine. And, uh, and so I handed that off and other issues. I can't remember off the top of my head now, other things that I had been doing that David took, but term limits became kind of a signature issue for David and it, it, um, it, it served him well. Uh, I ran for the U S Senate uh, while David was my seatmate, he supported me in that in that race. This is 1998. Uh, 98. Uh, John, John Bro, the senior senator, my friend. I just saw in in uh, Washington at the Washington Mardi Gras ball uh, earlier this month, um, and and uh, and I uh, I enjoyed serving with David. He was so bright and and um, uh, and strong willed. Nobody uh, nobody has ever called him a shrinking violet uh, one one little vignette that i remember we were sitting there the the caucus, the republican caucus had met just before the only time a united states president addressed a joint session of the legislature in baton rouge it was bill clinton and he was invited to come um uh speak to the legislature and uh, and so we had a caucus, and Pepe Bruno was the speaker pro tem, so he'd be up on the dais. Right. And like the third base coach, we kind of agreed we'd take our signal from Pepe. I think they the, the Democrats just did that with Pelosi during the State of the Union address last week. But um, um, we're sitting there with our hands on our desk, on our best behavior, David to my right and myself, and Bill Clinton, as only he could do, got on a roll. And I mean, he's kicking on, he's hitting on all cylinders. And he says, and medical science tells us that come the turn of the century, the life expectancy of Americans will go beyond 100 years. And I just nudged uh, David with my elbow and said, another reason not to vote for Bill Clinton. <laughs> but, um, but yes, we, uh, we were uh, we were seatmates and friends, and still are today. Um, his uh, his wife Wendy and and my wife uh, and and I had a tough reelection campaign one, once uh, in that in that tenure, and uh, they did not. And both of them came every weekend and uh, knocked doors in Lakefront Metairie for me, Wendy and David. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna move us along because uh-huh. I, I know I can't keep you forever, but I, I hope that you might agree to coming back one day at your invite. There, there's there's so many other personalities and, and questions I'd love to get into, but did you ever consider running for governor? Uh, when I was running for lieutenant governor, I think I raised most of my money uh, on the come, if you will, as I say in Las Vegas. People were, some of them were hiding from the hotly contested governor's race that right. they didn't want to be involved in, and others thought I had a future uh, as, as a governor down the road. Uh, I certainly did at that time. But when I lost that race and then jumped into running for Congress, my intention fully then was to serve my uh, time in, in Congress. And I have not looked back at running for governor with any uh, interest uh, since that time. And 
let's let's move to to, to your time as as, as insurance commissioner. Yes, sir. Uh, I look at your your tenure, and I think about a, a stronger link to the federal government. I think about a, a, a department that had to not only kind of redefine and reshape itself at times, but but also help the state reshape itself following some some, some uh, trying times. Um, as you're getting ready to, to go out, how how do you do a half dozen or so bullet points for? Your, your milestones as uh, as commissioner. Well, there's no question, Jeremy. The the um, the most successful part of my tenure was the rebuilding of our property insurance market after the worst insured loss event in the history of insurance anywhere in the world. Uh, we in Louisiana collected 25.3 billion from wind insurance coverages uh, for Katrina losses, and then three three weeks later, 3.3 billion more in Louisiana only for RITA losses. And before Katrina, our record event was a half billion dollar hailstorm in New Orleans in 2000. Um, it, it is mind boggling to think of what we went through back then. That doesn't include 16 billion paid to us for insured flood losses in the two storms by the National Flood Insurance Program. and. After Katrina, probably slower, not probably, definitely slower in Louisiana than any any other coastal state, all the major national players pulled out of coastal exposure. Up and down the Atlantic, all around the Gulf Coast. They were slower in our state because we have the only consumer protection uh, law on the books for homeowners, policyholders, that protects you if you've been with your company for three or more years. Can't non-renew, you can't change your coverage or your deductible or your premium without doing it to their whole statewide book of business. I had a series of disagreements with Allstate over that. They wanted out of coastal exposure. Ultimately, they did it by implementing a 5% name storm deductible and reduced their exposure down to the level they wanted, which is half of what it was when Katrina hit, 11% versus 22. We've more than replaced them with 28 new small regional carriers, as I mentioned earlier, reinsured up to their chin so that they can take on that huge exposure and spread it around the world. Uh, That's our greatest success, no doubt about it. Um, Our other success that I'm very pleased to be able to be a part of is changing the image of our uh, department and our state in the insurance world. Um, Charlie Crist ran for governor of Florida to succeed Jeb Bush. He was the attorney general, and during his campaign, he looked in the camera, pointed his finger, and said, if you elect me, I will lower your insurance costs. And by golly, he did. He called a special session, and he passed two bills. One is to lower, just simply lower, their market of last resort, Florida citizens, across the board 25%, putting the state at risk for that huge exposure that they have in Florida. They got lucky. They went 10 years without a storm, and it didn't cost them anything. But the Wall Street Journal did an editorial ripping the governor and the state for being so irresponsible. They had another bill in that same special session relative to their CAT fund, their state-sponsored reinsurance. I won't get into it with you. It's more nuanced than just lowering premiums by 25%, but it also put the state in great uh, danger for the next big one that might have come their way. And they referenced that, that risk that Florida had taken on 
criticizing the governor significantly and and alluding to that those two pieces of legislation and said and if florida had wanted to see how to do things right they need just look down the coast to louisiana parentheses of all places close parentheses who did yada 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 uh, building code incentive program uh, etc and i can't mention i can't say without mentioning that then governor blanco and the legislators at that time also stood the private sector road rather than the florida model of putting the state at risk by getting into the property insurance uh, um, uh, business and and that reference in the wall street journal i have often said if i had been given the editor's pen to delete that little backhanded slap I'd have left it in because it sent the world a, a message around the world to insurance boardrooms and executive offices that Louisiana is different than you think of when you hear Louisiana in the insurance world. It's, it deserves a second look. One of the benefits of Katrina, and there were other benefits, we always have to acknowledge and, and remember the 1,600 who lost their lives in that disaster. But one of the benefits was to give us an opportunity to have the spotlight shine on Louisiana and how it did its recovery. And for the most part, it was a bipartisan, reform-based effort that, uh, that, that served us well, and us in the insurance department no less so than, than anywhere else in the state. Our image is totally different than it was before that, that catastrophe. So is that more or less the, the overriding theme for the campaign, kind of a, we've been dating since prom night, baby? Don't, don't leave me now. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Uh, indeed. I, I, am, uh, I am very, very uh, confident that the public um, uh, knows and appreciates uh, what we have done and how we have done it for the past 12 years. And I hasten to add that first and foremost, my job is to protect consumers. And every one of my colleagues, Republican and Democrat alike, say that over and over again. That is our responsibility uh, to, to protect consumers. And the first part of that protecting consumers is to monitor companies for solvency, to make sure that they have the resources to make good on the promises they make to policyholders when they start collecting premiums from them. And your competition, who we spent a couple of minutes with on, on a video mm-hmm. uh, that we produce at LaPolitics, yeah. has suggested that, that auto insurance rates is going to be their focus. Um, what's your reaction to that, and, and where's the campaign? It's a natural issue. Uh, it has been a burden for us in Louisiana, back to my time in the legislature, when I was the lead author of No Pay, No Play, the only major auto insurance reform piece of legislation in, in my career. Uh, it lowered auto liability costs, mandated that they go down, and they did by 10% one year to the next. That reduced the state's take in premium taxes that uh, one year to the next when that went into effect. It's a huge challenge. We just got some really, really good news, though, last, week before last from State Farm that who has a third of our auto insurance policies statewide, over a million policies. And they have now, in the last nine months, taken a total of 
uh, in three different filings, a total of 7.7% rate reduction on, on their auto book of business. And I say, they didn't tell me this, but I say it's because two years till now, they've lost 100,000 policies. They've gone from 110,000 down to, I mean, a million and a hundred, a million one hundred thousand policies down to a, a million policies, and they want that hundred thousand policies back, and so they're lowering their premiums in order to reclaim that business. At the same time, they're also lowering their name storm deductible, back from five years ago when they went from a two percent to a five percent. They're bringing it back down to two percent. You have options that you can buy at two, three, four, five, and even some uh, very high ones if you choose to do that. But uh, it'll be available again, which they had cut off uh, anyone from having lower than a, uh, a 5% name sum deductible five years ago, but they're making that available again, I think, in order to bundle those homeowners policies with cheaper auto policies to try to reclaim that 100,000 policyholders that they lost over the past two years. We are eager to see what you're going to say and do on the campaign trail. Best of luck. Thank you. Um, As usual, give you the final word. You can uh, promote a charity. You can add something we did not talk about. You can tell me a joke or you just tell me to wrap it up and I will. Well, Jeremy, I just want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk to your very informed and loyal we're, we're group again. of readers. I will, I will look forward to that. <laughs> and uh, what should I close with? How about Go Tigers? Go Tigers. Jim Donnellan, <laughs> Louisiana's insurance commissioner, a graduate of Jesuit High School, and a man who knows the value of not only losing, but also winning. Jim, thanks for making time for me today. Thank you, sir. The Law and Politics Report is sponsored by the law firm of Adams & Reese, with attorneys and advisors strategically located in 17 markets across the southern United States and Washington, D.C., serving clients across all industries to effectively meet clients' legal needs and future goals. For more information on the services we provide, visit us online. That was Jim Dowland in Episode 62 of The Law Politics Report, a politician with a backstory, a public servant who does it because he cares. We like those on this program and we have several more coming to you in what is this, our fourth season of the podcast. Uh, Until we're broadcasting over the digital airwaves again, you know what to do. Keep your ethics in compliance, war chest full, and your politics wild and ambitious.